The book of Genesis, a journey through origins, a journey through Genesis. What is the book of Genesis? It is the, the story, the origin story of our faith. Someone say of our faith. Meaning it is not necessarily a, a math book, a physics book, a chemistry book, etc. Uh, it may include history. It may have. It has math. Today we, we're going to skip some of the math because it's just sitting there. Um, uh, but uh, but and but what's important is that we listen to the origins of our faith together. Uh, as we go through the text, there's still a couple of things to keep in mind. There's a lot in Genesis to explore. We aren't going to explore everything. Okay? And uh, we are also, we are also uh, going to, we're not going to read it only in real time. Meaning we're not going to read it as if there weren't any other Bible or we didn't already know about Jesus. Okay, we're going, thank God we're going to read Genesis with with the with the, compa- the companion counsel of our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, and also uh, we aren't going to ex- we aren't going to try to explore everything that can be seen. But we I, I, every each week I try to feel like we want to emphasize what needs to be heard. What do we need to see and hear from the text? And again, that could be arguable, and there may be. Another time, there may be something else to emphasize. So I say all that just because if you're reading along and you think, "Hey, how come he didn't emphasize that?" Well, it's we just can't do. We're, I just don't. I probably didn't feel like I was supposed to emphasize that or explore that. So what we've seen so far in Genesis chapter one, really quickly, Genesis chapter one, we see that God is creator, that He creates with artistic brilliance, that He that, and that the goal of creation isn't necessarily the cosmos. The goal of creation is is to make mankind in His image. The image bearer is the goal of creation. That's pretty exciting because that's a theme that we're going to continue to see. Chapter 2, we answers the question, how should man live in God's world? This is God's world. God has a plan. God has a design. And he, and he, and he, and he makes mankind and, and commands them and blesses them so that they will have vocation, that their life has purpose and meaning uh, and skill. They have a contribution that their thoughts, their works, he says, you know, cultivate the garden. He gives, them, he gives us purpose. And our work, all of our work is essential. And he gives us liberty. And he says, hey, have at it. Roam around. Eat eat from whatever tree you want. God gives us vocation. God gives us liberty. And he also gives us boundary. He said, go where you want to. But here's, according to his goodness, he places good boundaries in our life in order to protect us. And then in chapter 3, we said, hey, what went wrong? Uh, And we saw that, uh, that what went wrong was moral rebellion. That it wasn't a magic banana. Yeah. At the end of the day, it wasn't a magic banana that we weren't supposed to eat. It was this is it was Adam and Eve saying, "I know God said it was wrong, but I will decide what's right and wrong." And when we say "I decide," we engage in moral rebellion and we declare ourselves to be God and we set in motion a train wreck. In chapter four, we saw the fallout of moral rebellion and the lurking of sin, where Cain, because uh, the Lord, it, the Lord says, in, in His offering and between Abel's offering, Abel offers it something by faith, and Cain seems to not, and 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 the Lord is not pleased with with Cain's heart, not just with what's in his hands, but He's not pleased with Cain's heart, and Cain responds by being sullen and angry, and then expressing that anger in violence. But the Lord had warned Cain. He said, "Why is your face so fallen? If you choose to do what's right, there'll be joy on your face." 
This is, remember, God's counsel to Cain is good for every church boy and church girl. If you'll choose to do what's right, you'll be on the path of joy. But if you choose to do what's wrong, sin is lurking at the door and wants to master you, wants to, wants to, be, wants to overtake you, but you must master it. Now, we're thankful that God didn't leave us alone in that tug of war, that now he who lives within us is greater than he, he who is without, that Jesus Christ saves us from the power of sin, and the Holy Spirit reorients us to a life of righteousness. We're thankful for that. Okay, but now, <clears throat> then we saw the line in the line of Cain that the line of Cain departed from the presence of the Lord, but the line of Seth, where we pick it up today, the line of Seth began to call on the name of the Lord. All right, so now chapter 5, and it would be easy, I guess, just to do chapter 5, but if you look at the PowerPoint and count, yep, that's, that's five. That's five chapters. And uh, you might think, oh, no, I came on the wrong Sunday. We're never getting out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. I, I. I imagine we're going to do okay. We're, today we're going to talk about the story of Noah. Now the story of Noah covers several chapters. So my choice was to try to to try to to try to cover the 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 story in a way that's meaningful to us and try to extract uh, the big ideas and the points. Or we literally spend five or six weeks walking through this one story. I chose for the former. So here's what we need to do today. Before we even uh, uh, really get into the text, let me try to introduce this by way of preview. Our title today is Noah, and the theme is Salvation by Faith. Salvation by Faith. Just say that out loud with me, will you? Salvation Salvation by Faith. Noah is a story of God's salvation that occurs because of Noah's faith. Meaning, what happened? Just as Noah had to live by faith and trust God's promise to save him from trial and judgment, so must we. We must live by faith. You and I, this is a story that reminds us that we too are living by faith and that we are trusting in the promise of God to save us and to deliver us from our sin and from judgment. That's a sobering statement, but it's exceedingly good news. We are living by faith, trusting God to save us. Now, and so what we see here in, is an Old Testament story that becomes for us eventually New Testament realities. But first of all, let's begin. Number one, the first thing I want us to see by way of preview is this story uh, emphasizes to us the seriousness of sin's corrupting and violent influence. This story also reminds us that God will not, He did not and will not leave sin unjudged. And again, what we see here in this story will become a symbol for very significant New Testament realities. How many are believing that Jesus Christ is coming again? Yes. Okay. The, 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 in other words, this story is symbolic. It becomes a New Testament reference for our hope in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. By the way, I've got to say it. I'm not just trying to be funny, but it just is true. People used to say to me last year about in the springtime in 2020, they said, is this it? Is this it? Is this the end time? And I say, well, in the, Jesus said that they'd be, they'd be marrying and giving in marriage. And nobody was doing that. So clearly it wasn't. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
And they did, they, they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. Here it is. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. I mean, Jesus is saying, you guys, he's pointing back to that story to illustrate what it's going to be like when he comes again. So this story, oh, wait a minute. This story is about God's salvation. <clears throat> then Peter later on. Now, Peter, I have noticed, absolutely loves the story of Noah. We won't even reference all of Peter's references to Noah. But here's 2 Peter chapter 2. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, not great, and committed them to pits of darkness, held for, held for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Then here's the message that Peter wants us to know from our story today. God, pardon me, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. You got So again, if I go into that cafe and you guys are talking about the Nephilim instead of this stuff, I'm going to know you're not listening. Now, what about that Nephilim? I'm not talking about them. We're talking about God knows how to rescue the godly and to keep the, the, and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So this story is about God's kindness and his severity, God's justice. So it's good news. It's sobering, but it's very good news. But it, it should cause us to go, oh, I should pay attention. It also answers this one question that people have. Uh, you, perhaps you've heard this. We heard it growing up. We always hear it when you're in youth group or whatever. People always come up with this. And they say, why doesn't God do something about the evil in the world? Well, what we'll see today is he did. But we will also see that there is no external solution for sin. You can't flush it away. It has to be cleansed. Ultimately, we see the necessity for a Savior. We remember that you and I need to be saved from the power of our sin. From the power of our sin. Not, we do not... Yes, circumstances, the, we have the promises of God help us, counsel us, give us hope and even wisdom to overcome circumstances. But He didn't come to save us from circumstances from sin. If you are satisfied with a God who only want God to fix your circumstances, then you don't know that you need a Savior. We need to be delivered even from final judgment. So again, just as Noah had to live by faith, trusting God, so must we. All right. You ready? Okay. I see my time. All right, yes, here we go. So now I'm not going to read every verse in every chapter, but we're, we're going to read a lot of passage, but I, I might say, you'll hear me say, okay, skip two or skip two. Are you ready? First of all, it begins with chapter five, and the narrator wants us to hear about the line of, of, of Adam to Seth to Noah. Say it out loud with me. Adam, Seth, Noah. The narrator wants his audience, we're the people of Israel, we, we're, we're coming out of Egypt, we're wondering who we are, we're in Babylon, different, different periods of, of Israelite life, and the, and the narrator Moses wants them to know where they came from. This is a part that they are a people of promise. But he wants to, them to remind. He wants to remind them. Spoiler alert: They are image bearers. Here we go. Uh, verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter five, verse one. This is the book of the generations of Adam on the day when God created man. Now we've heard this, but he wants us to hear it again. When God created man, how did he make him? He made him in the likeness of God. 
He created them male and not being snarky, but just the two, okay? Male and and he and what did he do? He blessed them and named them mankind on the day they were created. The image bearers are male and female. They are made in the image and the likeness of God, and they are blessed. Then when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Time out. You might say, hey, hey, narrator, what about the other guys? Exactly. We're, Genesis, the, at this point, in, this, in chapter 5, where he is not going to give the name of everybody. He is, he is, his point is to the, the name of the person who's carrying the plot. Okay? So in his point here, Seth is the plot-carrying figure, right? So just here we go. And named him Seth. Then after Adam, uh, then, uh, then the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he fathered other sons and daughters for 800 years. That's a lot. Okay? <laughs> Okay, so all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. If you have a pen and you're reading along in your Bible and you're looking for firsts and origins, here it is. And he First time somebody dies. This is it, right. Except for Abel, he was killedified. But this is die. This is the record, the first record of death. And this Adam, ooh, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's not kind of, it's, a, it's an incredibly profound statement. But then it's, but it, what it says is that he has a son in his likeness, in his image. One, just one commentator uh, said, it was like, oh, that's cute. Seth must have looked like Adam. He must have been a chip off the old block. <laughs> Maybe, but it, that's not the point, is it? What the narrator wants us to know is that Seth, too, is in the image of God. God made man and male and female in the image of God, but look. Adam's offspring is also in the image of God. Children born to image bearers are also image bearers. Children born to image bearers also bear the image. Children, as in the womb, they are they have been stamped. They are the image of God. Every person born, every human being is an image bearer, and they all share the same opportunity and the same obligation as an image bearer. And they all, as we will see at the text, all of them demand the respect of the image they bear. We also see a pattern here, and you'll see it as if you read through five, and we won't read every verse. What you see is the narrator wants us to see that there, that there's a there's a the plot goes from parent to a specific offspring, and then they have more sons and daughters, and then they end, and then they die. Okay, so there's the idea is that uh, this is a you'll see this so and so, then they had so and so, then they, then my sons and daughters, and then they die. Everyone dies in in this in this in this in in chapter five almost. Jump to verse 21. Now, Enoch lived 65 years and then fathered Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God. 300 years after he fathered Methuselah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Again, verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There's wisdom here that we've got to lean into. It's not even necessarily part of the story of Noah, but it's, it's wisdom for us to hear. Everyone else in chapter 5 lived. 
Enoch walked with God. Everyone else dies. Enoch was not because God took him. Biblical tradition teaches us that Enoch lived by faith. That he, he was that he, because of his faith, he was pleasing to God and did not see death. We see that in Hebrews 11. God spared him from death because of his faith. And God will do the same for you. Jesus said, he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. Yeah. But also we see even, this is so early and it's so exciting for as far as Old Testament theology because if you read commentators and things, they'll say, well, you know, the idea of an afterlife, the idea of life after death, we really don't see it developed in the text until later. And that's true. It's not developed. doesn't mean it's not present because right away, Genesis 5, we see that, that, that faith is a confidence in and a hope for a life beyond this one. For Enoch, faith did not grant him more of this life. It made him closer to and ready for the next life. And it does the same for you and for me. Now Methuselah, verse 25. Now Methuselah lived 187 years and he fathered Lamech. Uh-oh. Everybody say Lamech. Lamech. We heard him last week. Remember, he yelled at his wife. Well, if you were in second service, we learned that the line of Cain started yelling at their wife. Oh, you didn't? Oh, I, 9 o'clock missed the fun. If you read chapter 4, at the end, Lamech lifts his voice and says, Listen to me, my wives. Bring me a chicken pot pie. Listen to me, woman. That whole, Listen to me, woman. That comes from the line of Cain. You're welcome. It's right there. Read it. He's a polygamist. And yells at his wife. Anyway, uh, but we have another Lamech, another one from a, this is from Seth's line. Uh, Methuselah. Now, Lamech lived 182 years and fathered a son, and he named him Noah, saying, You might want to get your little pen out and say, Hmm, when's the last time we saw the word saying? The last time we heard Lamech. Lamech was the seventh of Cain, now Lamech is the seventh of Seth, and, and both, both of these Lamechs. Are, they're the only people in the in the in the in the in the storyline so far in the in these lineage stories that speak that are given quotes. In the line of Cain, Lamech looks backward. He boasts of vengeance and violence, and he looks backwards with and he says, "If God if God avenged Cain, He needs to avenge me seventy seven times more because I killed a man and I've killed his son." And listen to me, wives. The first Lamech speaks and he speaks and he looks backward and he speaks with violence and resentment and anger. But this Lamech from the line of Seth looks forward and speaks with hope. He says, This one, he named him Noah, saying, This one will give us comfort from our work and the hard toil, the hard labor of our hands. Then, and that really comes to the point of our story, verse 32. Now, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We'll need to know later on about these. If you, we, It won't be the point today, but if we're part of the original audience, we would, train, we would tra- trace our Semitic uh, history to the line of Shem. 
and that's what they need to know. And then they, the other two go different directions. But this sets, sets up the story. Here's the story. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came about when mankind began to multiply on the face of the, of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took wives for themselves from wherever they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. Underline that, we'll come right back to it. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind and they were born and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. I will not be talking about Nephilim. <laughs> Michael James. I will not be talking about Nephilim. But we, will, we do need to note that God says something about 120 years. And he's either saying that he is either, God is either giving an edict that he is going to change the lifespan of man because of his sin or he is setting a clock for when judgment's going to come, or both. Then verse, because here we pick it up at verse five. Then the Lord saw that every, pardon me. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth; that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. This is a very important paragraph. So the Lord was sorry that He made mankind on the earth. He was grieved in His heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth and the animals, well, the crawling things, the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. The Lord saw wickedness. The Lord saw the intent in our hearts and in, in the hearts of mankind was evil that you may see that and think, golly, that seems like a little bit of hyperbole. But from heaven's point of view, looking over what happens, this may be more accurate than we are willing to admit. We usually like to say, well, we're not, not all bad, not too bad. But as, from the perspective of heaven, this is a view of man's actions. But it also, we also need to consider that this is mankind apart from any covenant yet, any part of provenient grace, any part of the influence of the outpouring of the Spirit. So the truth is, you and I don't really know how bad things were. The Lord sees wickedness. He determines that judgment is necessary, and He is grieved. The Lord is grieved. He is hurt. He is regretful. This is another first that God feels sorrow and regret, and He does over the image bearer. There is wickedness. There is the grief of God, and there is coming judgment. But there's another first. Verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. If you're looking to underline another thing in your Bible, underline the word favor. This is the first time we see that in our origin story. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Human wickedness and divine grief will not have the last word. The favor of the Lord will intervene. The grace of God will save. 
This is the seed of promise for all of God's saving action. It, it, it's when God will, because of God's favor, he will, he will save in the story of Noah and the ark. The next time we see God's favor, he has favor upon a young child named Moses, and he will save his people from captivity and slavery. And we will ultimately see God's favor in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and his return. All of these are rooted in and result from the favor of God. It doesn't have to have the last word. It will not have the last word. God's grace will always have the last word. Verse 9, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah Noah was, oh, this is so good. Hear this, please. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. We know because we know what happened. We have to say this: that that the hope for humanity rests on righteous people, on holy people. It is possible for you and I to live differently. Listen to this again: Noah uh, was blameless in his generation. Every generation, it needs somebody who will walk with God. You cannot necessarily do something about the generations before you. You can do something about the generations that will come, but what you can do is live faithfully now in your generation. You don't, we don't, look, don't spend time, so much time looking backwards or looking forwards. The point is you and I have now. We have today. We have this generation. And you and I can live righteously before God in our generation. And we can do something about our generation. Jump to verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. It was filled with violence, and God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. I have these words underlined. Look, underlined corrupt, violence, corrupt, corrupted. Uh, 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 for humanity had corrupted its way upon the earth. The Lord said to Noah, the end of humanity has come before me. The, the earth is filled with violence because of people, and behold, I'm about to destroy. Notice, notice the connection there is between corruption within and the expression of violence, and that violence is an expression of corruption and wickedness. So jump to chapter 6, verse 14. Make, the Lord says, make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. We're not exactly sure what gopher wood, but it's probably cypress wood. You shall make the ark with its compartments and cover it inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. And verse 16 gives all kinds of directions. We'll pick that up or kind of just hint at that in a minute. Verse 17, now behold, I myself am bringing the flood of water on the earth. Where's the water? The water comes because God sends it, Okay to destroy all the flesh uh, from every, everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. Uh, the judgment is coming, but my covenant with you will preserve you. He's the God of covenant. This is the first time we're about to read about a covenant. We haven't seen it put in action yet, but God promises a covenant of salvation. Yeah. Do you hear this? Moses is there's Moses Noah's there and the Lord said there's the, this is things are bad here is judgment but I'm going to give you a covenant promise and if you'll listen to my word and if you'll trust this covenant promise you will be saved Hallelujah. this is the message to you and listen to this you shall enter the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your, and your sons' wives with you. That sounds a little bit like Paul saying, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. Yeah. And then he says, and then he talks about, I'm going to bring everything in. Uh, 
He first, it says those two of everything. Well, later on, we find out that he act, it's actually seven uh, pairs of clean animals and two pairs of unclean animals come into the, come into the ark. Then uh, chapter 7, then the Lord said to Noah, enter the ark. You know what? This, it, this isn't the point, but it makes good preaching. You, an ark's not going to do you any good till you get in there. You can know where church is. You can know where your Bible is, but your Bible's not going to do you any good until you open that thing. You can know where the church address is, but it's not going to do you any good until you go there. And you can know the name of Jesus, but until you call upon his name. Told you it was good preaching. Enter the ark, you and your household. Jump to verse 10. Now it came about after seven days that the waters of the, of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life. So we have, this hit, might have taken 100 years to build that thing. Not everything happens overnight. This is why we have a building fund and a missions fund. Again, it's not the point of the text, but it makes for good preaching. In the second month on the 17th day, that the fountains of the great deep burst open. I'm trying to read that with as much drama as I can, because we need to see that what the, what the narrator is describing is something so cataclysmic, it, no matter what you imagine, it's probably far greater. The fountains of the great deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were open, and the rain fell upon the earth. Jump Verse 18. Water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated upon the surface of the water. They were safe in God's provision. And then he talks about all the creatures that were there, and he wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth. Uh, where is it? You need to read it. And it talks about everything that had the breath of life in its nostrils, because everybody keeps asking me last, yes, last night, what about the fish? What happened to the fish? Yeah, talking about salvation and judgment. What about the fish? Okay, anyway, the scripture says everything that had the breath of life in its nostrils perished, not the fishies, okay? (laughs) They were clueless. Uh, The water prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. So what we see here is that Noah lives by faith. He gets instructions and he obeys. And through trusting obedience in the promise of God, he trusts God to deliver and to save him. He's told to build an ark. It will take him a lifetime to build it. It's built, It's probably with cypress wood. It's sealed with pitch. And it's, it's huge. Uh, the ark will probably, in today's standard, hold more than 500 railroad cars. It's a big boat. And God, then God sends the animals, and then God sends a flood, the, fla- the fountains of the deep burst, the floodgates of the sky. It rains. This is a cataclysmic description that is beyond our capacity. Now, let me just pause and say, yes, there are a couple of theories about the flood that exist. Some folks um, uh, will say it didn't happen at all. Some folks will say it happened, but it, it might have been it might have been a localized scenario in the Mediterranean area, in the, that, that the flood affected the known population at the time. And there are others that say no, this is a worldwide flood. And and the point is uh, not to fuss necessarily about how localized or how widespread it was, because it, what you mustn't ever do is get distracted chasing down apologetic nuances and forget that this is about sin, judgment favor and salvation don't don't change the subject 
But as we reflect, let me just say this, that there are inexplicably across the earth massive deposits of mixed animal fossils in fissures all over the world where the earth has fissures, where the earth has broken open and in those crevices, massive crevices, are thousands of different species of animal bones that are just collected as if they all were rushed in at once. And, they, and in those fissures are also huge, like huge blocks and huge boulders that could not have just, that had to have been, can only be carried like by water. That's interesting. But what I personally found as a church boy is that, found interesting, is that nations and cultures all over the world share a story. Now, I've heard that, but I, but I didn't realize how extensive it was. That cultures and nations all over the world share a story about an ancient worldwide flood. All of them share a story about an ancient worldwide flood that brought cataclysmic destruction. All of them see it, tell the story as punishment from the gods against humanity. They all recognize it was an act of judgment. Now, the Babylonians said that the, the Babylonian gods sent the flood because humans were too loud. <laughs> and the gods couldn't rest. And the, God made, the gods made humanity so they would work and they could rest, but then mankind got too loud, so they said, oh, let's just kill them. <laughs> I hate those gods. All of them include a story about that the, that, that, the, that the flood was survived by a single man and his family. All of them. And most all of them say it happened, this single man and his family survived the flood because they were in a boat. And they include a sacrifice, an altar, and a response. Here's just some of them. Just some of them. I didn't realize how many. Just some of them. Uh, the culture, uh, ancient Egypt, Babylon, Greece, cultures in Asia Minor, Minor, the Hindus, the Chinese, Polynesian cultures, Mexican, Mexican Indian cultures, North American First Nation tribes, all of them. Then there are, there are at least 11 others that have the same story, except for they don't necessarily include a boat. They just talk about a guy in a, that, they, they, that he survived on top of a mountain. Well, there's a mountain in our story, too. In other words, friends, as we consider this and we want to weigh it, what you should remember is this, that the whole earth testifies that something happened. But Scripture claims to tell us what happened and why. In chapter 8, the flood begins to subside, and we hear something else that's incredibly exciting. Chapter 8, but God remembered Noah. You might want to underline that, circle that, Put it on a bumper sticker on your whatever it is. But God remembered Noah. Everybody say, God remembers. God remembers. Please don't ever read that like God said, like, oh, Noah. <laughs> That's right. But God remembered Noah. When the, when the author of Genesis talks about God remembering, and, then, and throughout the Old Testament, when we hear that God remembers, it means that God is about to act in accordance with what he's promised to do. God is going to keep his word and he is going to act on behalf of those he's given his word to. So when we say God remembered, that means God's fixing to. 
God's fixing to help Noah and all the animals and all the livestock that were with him. God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. To say that God remembers is remember, that means that God's going to act according to his word. He's going to, and he remembered Noah and the promise he made to him. Then what are we remembering today? We're living by faith. God will remember the promise he's made to you. Yes. He'll remember it today. He'll remember it tomorrow. And someday there'll be a trumpet that sound and God will remember your name. And you will, when, because he walked out of that grave, you'll walk out too. Yes. And then the first thing that we see, shikabaka, shikabak, is this. God remembers Noah and he sends a wind. And if we're reading it in Hebrew, we see that he sends ruach. Wait, ruach? Oh, yeah, that's the same word for spirit. That's the same word we heard in Genesis 1 when the ruach of God was hovering over the face of the deep. When God's fixing to do something new, he's going to send his spirit to do it. When the people of Israel are, are between their uh, pharaohs behind him and the Red Sea is in front of him, God sends a ruach. Yes. And then there were and then there were 120 people huddled in an upper room waiting for the promise of the Father, and God sent the wind. Yes. I'm telling you, He remembers and He sends His Spirit. Yes. Keep going. Also, the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were closed, and the rain from and the rain stopped. And the water receded steadily. Again, jump down to verse 6. Then it came about after the, after the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven. Yeah, BTW, all, the, all those ancient stories all over the world, birds. They got birds in them too. Yeah, birds. Okay. He sent out a raven, and it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. The raven was a different animal. It was more robust. It didn't come back. Uh, he sent out a dove to see if their water was low on the surface of the land, but the dove found no resting place, so it returned. Then he put out his hand and he took it. So he waited seven days. He sent out the dove again, and it brings back a fresh olive leaf. Olive, olive trees grow in the lower elevations, and he brings back signs of hope. Why is it, you know, everybody talks about an olive branch or an olive thing, and it's like, that's like, like, that's an expression of peace. Well, let's extend an olive. It's an expression of peace. That's fine, but really it's an expression of hope. Then he waited another seven days, sent it out, sent the dove out again, but it did not return to him again, meaning that the dove had found a safe place, and that was a sign. Mm -hmm. So Noah removed the covering. He looks around, he waits. 27th day, the earth was dry. So now we, now we come to the, to the conclusion of the story, to verse eight, chapter 8, verse 18. So Noah went out, his sons and his wife and his wives with sons, sorry, his sons' wives with him, every animal, everybody on there, they all leave the ark. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. First one, first one in Genesis, Noah builds an altar he takes some of every kind of clean animal and clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Burnt offerings are an expression of worship, of consecration, recognizing God's lordship, his sovereignty, and his care. Yeah. Noah recognizes you are Lord. This is yours. Everything is yours. This is a burnt offering says he is Lord. It's all his. It's he's this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and he is our only hope for salvation. This is, an express, this is Noah's expression of faith. And the Lord and, and Noah's expression of faith. Someone say expression of faith. Expression you got to hear that. Faith. And then, listen, and then verse 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Not like, mmm, birds. 
but faith. The Lord smelled faith. And the Lord said, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil. I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. As I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Noah builds an altar and he gives an offering and God responds with a covenant. So then the first part of the covenant is, he says, I'm not going to do what, what I, like I did before. And then he promises seasons and seed time and harvest, but it continues. Verse 9, then God, or chapter 9, then God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill. So a part of this covenant command is blessing. God gives a covenant. Noah builds an altar, offers his faith. The Lord responds in covenant and says he's going to protect the earth. He's 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 not going to do that flood thing again, but now he blesses Noah and tells him to multiply. Then verse two, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every animal on earth. Why? They do not want to go back in the boat. He says, I'll give you all the... Uh, and then he said, then the good news, here's the gospel. <laughs> Every moving thing that's alive shall be food for you. <laughs> Thank you, Noah. Okay. <laughs> but you shall, not eat the, you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. I will certainly require your lifeblood. See, the covenant honors the blood. The covenant, this, this covenant says, be fruitful, be multiply." And then he and, and and he blesses them, but he tells them, "You show reverence for blood because that's the sign of life." He said, "Every animal I'll require, and from every person, from every man as his brother, I will require the life of a person." Look at verse six: "Whoever sheds human blood by by man, his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God." That's why we had to start at chapter five and end here. It's the whole. It's, a, it's the circle of the image bearer. For in the image of God, he's made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Then in verse 8, he continues. And we, you can read it. And, he, and this is where the, the, the Lord says specifically, I, I will never, uh, verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you and all flesh. Never again be eliminated by the waters of a flood, nor shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. This is the sign of the covenant I am making with you. And he, and he refers to the rainbow. Verse 16, when the rainbow is in the cloud, then I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living, every living creature. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So let's look at this again. God gives a command with this, with this covenant. He commands blessing, he commands fruitfulness, and he commands respect for life. Violence, the taking of innocent life, is an attack on the image. It is blasphemy. And we have to just pause. And there's a lot of things that can be included in this. But when you look at the Noahic covenant, the Noahic covenant is a, is a covenant, is a command for all of humanity. Right. So not even our super religious happy people can say, well, now we're not living under the law. This has nothing to do with the law. This has everything to do with God's covenant with humanity. Right. And God says to humanity, you shall not take innocent life. Yes. The command is to be a fruitful and to multiply and not to take innocent life. Yes. So we must consider 
the things that are in place that are a part of our even our culture today that are an absolute violation of everything God has said. But God points to a sign. He says, that this, he points to the rainbow. Now, that doesn't mean this is the first time they ever saw a rainbow. Some people say it is. That doesn't even matter. All he says is, see that rainbow? When you see that, you're going to remember that that's a sign of my covenant. God always gives, when he gives covenants, he always gives a sign, whether it's Sabbath or circumcision or a rainbow. The rainbow says, the rainbow here says, let this be a reminder that, that God promises not to do what he has done the way he has done it. But remember, he did it. Remember that it's God's world. We are to remember that God is just and that he is God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 6 reminds us, he says, though, through, though, uh, through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be dissolved. Since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the Lord? Meaning when you remember, when you remember, we, we, we too, like Noah, we are also saying God's word is, has, has been given. He's already said judgment is going to come again. Not like the flood, it's going to be much larger, much more comprehensive. But our hope yes. is built on yes. Jesus Christ yes. and righteousness. Yes. Our, our trust is in Jesus. And so we live today trusting in the grace of Jesus Christ, living by faith, righteous in our generation, believing that God will keep his promise to save us. And do we have a sign? Oh, we certainly do. Oh, we do lots of things. We have, I'm not talking about sacraments. We got those. But the sign of our covenant is the Holy Spirit. When you believe, you were sealed with the spirit of promise. And that's why every influence, every activity, every manifestation of the Holy Spirit, we point to that and say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the, that is the assurance of God's kingdom. That is the influence of God's kingdom. And we welcome the manifest presence of the spirit as the sign of God's covenant promise to us. So as we close today, we just remember. We remember this story again. This story reminds us of the seriousness of sin's corrupting and violent influence and that God will not leave sin unjudged. That God has acted in response to evil and he will again. We also see, friends, there is no external solution for sin. God is not satisfied merely to save us from our our circumstances. He came to save us from our sin. We need a Savior. And Jesus Christ came. Paul said, this is a trustworthy statement. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we live today by trusting obedience, faith in the name of Jesus, that God will keep his promise to save us all. Let's stand together. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have need. 
today we live by faith. We trust your word. We put our hope, our confidence in your promise to save us and deliver us. Grant us today the grace, the favor of God to walk with you differently, righteously, faithfully in this generation. We give you thanks for your faithfulness to us. You are our hope our joy, and our great reward. We give you thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Somebody said amen. amen. I bless you, friends. There's, there's uh, refreshments in the cafe if you'd like to go and be with friends. I'll hang back, and if you'd like specifically for me to pray with you, anoint you with oil today, I'm happy to do that. <laughs>